Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things, helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time and the girls at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This episode does not class as personal advice. It is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. People may also hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to episode three of The Numbers Game. This week, talking all things purchasing a home in a rising market. It's Jason, and I'm here with Nick and Marty. I'm absolutely pumped this week, Jace. I am fired up. The property market is going berserk, and we're going to help all our listeners out there to really just work through the maze. Nick, how are you going, buddy? Uh, very well. We are in a property, well, a property-linked business, so we're flat out at the moment. So I think the content we've got today is brilliant, and it's on everyone's lips and everyone's mind. So, yeah, looking forward to really getting into it. And I can't wait. And just while we're getting warmed up, I can't wait for our listeners to hear how you are going to make sand interesting coming up in the next segment. So I bring it on. Guarantee you I have an interesting story about sand. I can't wait. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's play. We're into reading the play now, guys, and uh, we're going to give you some interesting facts, some advice, and some insights for your day-to-day. And this week, we're going to kick it off with Nick so he can bring us the facts about sand. What do you got, Nick? I read an article this week in the AFR which caught my attention, uh, and it's something I had no no clue about, and I, I don't think many of our listeners will. No, I hope people don't take that the wrong way, but the world is running out of sand, um, so much so that 67% of Southern Californian beaches will be gone by the year 2100. We use 50 billion tonnes of sand per year, which is more, more than we use in oil. So... To put that into perspective, and this is the stat that blew my mind the most, um, 50 billion tonnes of sand is enough to build a wall 27 metres high by 27 metres wide around the planet. That's what we use on an annual basis. So picture a wall that's 27 metres high and 27 metres wide. That could wrap around the planet. So we do that annually. Why did I find this relevant? I'm not sure about you guys, but... Wherever I walk, or if I go for a walk with my wife around um, around the streets where we live, every two to three hundred meters is a hoarding board. Everyone is renovating. There's things happening everywhere. We know what's happening with um, with the the medium sized builders and, and estates. Building is happening everywhere. Um, so a couple other things. So apart from concrete, which is where a lot of the sand goes, it's used to make paper, paint, plastic, glass, food, and wine. It's a seventy billion dollar a year industry um that's the the gross revenue that comes out of sand i'm still going marty between 2011 and 2013 china used more concrete than the usa used in the entire 20th century hello there's another fantastic stat we're getting somewhere marty i was waiting to see where this was going yeah so what is the problem um well the problem is we're running out of sand and what is that doing it's causing rivers and oceans to flood um the the flood in houston i think it was a couple of years ago a lot of that was created by um dredging of sand out of the rivers. The, re- the, the industry is now becoming regulated. So government has stepped in and by regulating the industry, there obviously only certain pe- groups can mine it. Um, but what happens when you regulate an industry? You create a black market. 
So now you have um, $2.3 billion a year um, that comes from a black market. Uh, employs around 75,000 people in India that dive for sand and get paid $15 per boatload. Uh, a lot of deaths. The deaths are unreported, but a lot of deaths from obviously diving for sand. Really? Right. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Um, the price of sand has gone up five times in the last 30 years, and that would be a major contributor to our building costs and why our building costs have spiked so much. Uh, and the last thing I want to talk about is what are the alternatives? So there's some alternatives around um, crushing rocks and recycling concrete. And why did I think this is all relevant for the investment market is have a look at companies that are crushing rock and recycling mm-hmm. concrete, and maybe that's somewhere to put your money. So sorry for coming at you with all those stats, but I found them all incredible, to no, be honest. So. I like it. I was about to put the wheelie bin in the ute and uh, head off to Fraser Island and load up. That's uh and, and people might not know this, but the world's largest sand island is Fraser Island in Australia. Yep. And we, what you got me worried about now is we have 10,685 beaches in Australia. So yep. we are sitting on a gold mine here and we have to protect that. <laughs> well, we are. And um, I can't remember the building, but uh, the article that I read did quote a building in Dubai where all of the sand came from Australia. Mm. Um, so we are seen as one of the hotspots. Um, good sand. And the other thing I, I noted was a lot of the sand, um, you know, around the Arab Emirates, for example, you, you can't use that. It's mm. too it's too fine. So it's generally sand that's at the bottom of a river that they want to use. So We are on the cutting edge here in Australia. We that's, are. That's fascinating. I never would have thought about that. That's really, really good. So on the sand story about property and construction, that leads to where I'm at with this week's Reading the Play is that the perfect storm that has been created in property prices. Now- House prices have been driven up at the fastest rate in almost two decades. The last time that we saw data saying that property prices had gone up two point, over 2% was in 2003. Whereas at the moment, we've got historic low interest rates, we've got less stock on the market than ever, and there's people that are worried about a fear of getting into the market. So we've got FOMO driving people wanting to buy homes. And effectively, we've got this perfect storm where property prices are being driven up, and you two probably see a lot of this with with what you're doing day in, day out. I mean, are you guys seeing this as well? We're we're the busiest we've ever been in over 20 years in finance, I would think. And any mortgage broker or finance professional you talk to are saying the same. It is a perfect storm. We've got first homeowners in the market. We've got investors catching in. I think there was was an interest rate produced, interest only, 2.49. Check the comparison rate, for goodness sake. But um, that's on interest only. So, I mean, you're looking at great rates all of a sudden and um, just the perfect climate for people to buy buy property and, and they don't want to miss out. You're right, Jase. Yeah. I'm interested in your take on this, but I've, the article that I read, which I might throw in the show notes because I can't remember where I read it, but it said that 40 experts and economists say that house prices can spike 12 to 20% roughly in the next two years. Mm. So- Why? Yeah, why? What are you um, thinking? <laughs> I think, uh, well, what, what we're finding in our business is anyone that retained their job, which was a lot of people, right, through this whole COVID period, um, is in a stronger position than ever because of where the interest rates are. Now, the government has come out and said that the interest rates are going to stay low and the cash rate will stay where it is until 2024, but some experts are saying now that that can't happen the way things are going. But, you know, if you're looking at 2.5% and you're looking at an interest payment on that, you're looking at a million dollars, 25000 a year. So- there's so many people that have dual income families, servicing debt is not a problem. Um, 
the other thing at the moment is there's a lack of stock. So there's less people fighting. Uh, there's more people fighting for less stock. So mm-hmm. what does that cause? So, yep. um, and the the final thing, and Marty and I spoke about this the other day, but we haven't seen a boom like this for a long time. There's been hiccups, whether it was the Royal Commission, whether it was um, restrictions on investment lending. So the market has really been waiting to do this uh, since 2003, I guess. Yeah. Of course, it's gone up, but we haven't seen a big spike like we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, and people who are thinking of selling their properties sometimes are holding back because they're going, all right, we're going to get a good price for our property, but where are we going to go? But there's an enthusiasm now in the market where people are going, we have to go because we might get priced out on that upgrade opportunity as well. So you've got upgraders, you've got first homeowners getting in, investors coming in, and yeah, conditions are good. And we've probably been a little slow. Like like Nick was saying, the last few years, Royal Commission, there's been restrictions on lending. That's all starting to loosen up. And I think we're going to have a very good you know, two, three years. Yep. I think the other thing, the final thing to note is just a repositioning of people's values. So, you know, it's no secret to know that no one can't go overseas at the moment. So they've got to put their money somewhere. Yep. If you can't go overseas, okay, well, maybe you upgrade the house, maybe you buy a holiday house, but as long as people retain their jobs, they've got more cash than they've ever had because number one, they haven't been able to go anywhere and spend it. Um, and number two, their, their, their values have changed as to you know what they want their day-to-day life to look like. Marty. Yeah, well, this week I looked at um, a money smart survey and there's a fact that 80% of people do not know um, why mortgage insurance is taken out and who it protects. And I thought that was really interesting that people didn't know that mortgage insurance actually protects the lender, not the client. So the benefits of mortgage insurance is you can borrow higher. And that's why in these markets, you can get into the market. So that's a real positive. But people are thinking, oh, this must be some form of protection. If something goes amiss, I should be covered. Not the case. So just to put that fact straight, the mortgage insurance protects the lender. The other thing I had- so, Sorry, I'm paying yeah. ten dollars or $15,000 of insurance to protect the bank, not myself. Correct. But you get into the market with a lower deposit. So that's the benefit. So you don't miss out. And when we look at 10, 15, 20 years time, you're in the market, whereas otherwise you wouldn't be. So that's the benefit there. So your advice on that then, Marty? Because uh, I know it's a question that I used to have a lot of the times. Should we wait, save- enough that we're not in the mortgage insurance, um, that we're not in mortgage insurance territory, or do we just jump into the market? In a, in a fair or a market that's slightly declining, which is very rare in Australia, but in a fair market, I would say that's okay. But in a rising market, you're going to miss out. So mm-hmm. you've, you've got to get that, that deposit in, that 5%, 10% deposit in, and you've got to strike now. Otherwise, because even with property prices rising, it's going to hit a new foundation point that's going to be higher than where it is today. Mm-hmm. So even if we go up, like you said, 15, 20, 30%, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. when it drops, it's not going to drop by that much. Mm-hmm. So again, if you can get in now, get in now and take advantage of that front of the wave on what you're going to make with the property prices going up in value. And um, I had, and like mortgage insurance, there's only really two in Australia, QBE and Genworth. So what the banks will do, some of the banks have their own mortgage insurance. So another little hack is up to 90% of borrowings, generally some of the banks will cover under their own mortgage insurance policy. But then if it goes further than that, it'll get outsourced to QBE and Genworth. And there's some stricter criterias around that, that you need to know. And the other thing that's really interesting, and it's a little 
it's a little edge in the market. Let's say you buy a house for seven hundred and fifty grand, you borrow six hundred and eighty at ninety point six six percent. Your mortgage insurance can range from twenty three thousand to twenty five thousand, depending wow. on the lender. So it's it's a big hit. But if you borrow six sixty, so twenty grand less at eighty eight percent on that same property, the mortgage insurance halves to eleven thousand to twelve thousand. So again, your question was really relevant in regards to getting into the market, mm. but if you can get access to some additional funds to bring that bring that lending value ratio down, then you could certainly save some big money. Twenty thousand in, ten thousand saving. That's that's. I know that's, we like numbers, quite amazing. Money, but that is numbers that I did not understand. Like, do you think that's well communicated by banks or even brokers that you've seen in history? So, I mean, that's ten thousand dollars different. That's in is in the is in the person's pocket, the home buyer's pocket. Yeah. Is that well communicated that if they put together a, a little bit more money, they'll save ten thousand dollars? I don't think so. I, I think it's such an emotional buy that people just see a house and they they reverse engineer their needs in finance. And I think this is why you've got to go through all this up front because again, that one piece of advice could save you. 10,000, and you can get 20,000 in this day and age from various sources. Um, yes, you've got to have some genuine savings, which means you've got to save over a period of three months and show consistency of savings because that's character. And But again, the top up after that is um, you can get it from parents. Uh, you might have some shares. There's various different ways to be able to do it. But again, not everyone's situation is that, that they have that money there. So at least it gets you into the market if you if you haven't got it. But again, it's good to take note of because that's 10 grand. I think the other thing to note there, Marty, too, is, is the, the resurgence of guarantor loans. And when I say resurgence, it's not something recent, probably the last five or six years, but um, they've revamped and also rebranded their guarantor loans, the lenders. So I think that is because of the cost of mortgage insurance. And, you know, most people's parents are sitting on a lot of equity. They might not have money, but they're sitting on plenty of equity and they do want to help. And um, what I can say from my experience is once you show parents what that mortgage insurance cost is, they're more than happy to go down the guarantor option. So, again, it all just comes back to getting the right advice and understanding what your options are. So, anyone out there that is is wanting to buy a home at the moment and has gone, it's too hard, I can't save 20%, I mean – Average median house price in a, in Melbourne at the moment is about seven hundred and twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That's a big deposit. If you need twenty percent, if you can't get twenty percent, is the advice still to talk to a broker, put ten percent together, bring mum and dad to the table, and start to have these conversations because it is within reach. We cover it off, and I, I don't want to steal Marty's thunder here, but we cover it off in every conversation. If there's a first homeowner conversation, and there's a mortgage insurance conversation, it's followed up with a guarantor conversation because. A lot of the time it's awareness and as I said, those products have been revamped. So it's far easier for mum and dad now to go guarantor than it was, say, 10 years ago. Yep. Um, so we bring it up at every at every meeting that we can um, because Borg's insurance, once it's paid, it's gone. Yep. It is literally dead money. So when you show your parents there's a way to save it, they, they, they generally play ball and they want to help. And, and particularly in a rising market too, mm. if parents are helping out, they get that it's costly to buy property. So talk to the bank of mum and dad because once it's a limited guarantee for that 20% plus cost, let's say, and then once the property rises, you can release the parents um, off that guarantee. You either pay down debt and create wealth, get equity, 
or again, the market rises, and then you can release them once there's enough equity there at 80% mm. and you don't have to pay mortgage insurance then. So, yeah, but again, it, it's getting everyone in the room and on the same page. I think parents in general want to see their kids get ahead and they know it's tough to save, you know, 100, 150 grand this day and age. It can take years. So it's, it's, um, it's a great way to get into the market. Fantastic. Well, Mum, I know you listen to the show, so I expect a call. Expect a call this week because uh, I want to go shopping for a property. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email: hello at thenumbersgamepodcast.com.au. All right, here's my favourite part of the show. It's uh, losing it. Uh, like I said, we've all made mistakes. We all learn from them, and there's valuable lessons in them. And today we're going to be talking about buying property in the wrong areas. And Nick Riley, you have had clients certainly that have done this in the past and uh, give us some insight. Yeah, can I first just say, Marty, you really set the tone with losing it. All the feedback I had from episode one was the coffee story. That's me, that's me, that's me. So thanks for setting the tone and, you know, really. Well, I I wanted to have you in this time first because I didn't want this podcast to be called Marty's Shit Financial Decisions. (laughs) So so please engage me, mate. Um, Yeah, well, look, today I wanted to talk about a situation that I've seen occur numerous times um, over sort of 15 years of having a mortgage broking business. And then I thought it was relevant because of what's happening at the moment with property um, and and, and the hype. And, you know, we, we talked about the growth, but- I've, I've referred to mining uh, areas in particular, but um, that's almost cliche. Everyone knows now that you should be careful um, when you buy in a mining area, but it's not just mining. It can be student accommodation. It mm. can be any property that's outside of the norm that seems too good to be true. And you know, we've seen so many situations in our business where people have bought property based on returns that are above the market. And when I say returns, I'm talking about rental or yield. Um, and it looks like a good deal, right? Just like everything, you're looking for a good deal. Um, what what you'll find happens is it's too good to be true for a reason. Um, we've had numerous people in our business or clients that have had to sell those properties that that that, that we've helped them get funding for, sold them at a loss. And I keep I'll, I'll refer to mining areas because and the particular example that comes up is clients purchased for around five hundred thousand, and the rental uh, the rental income at the time was seven hundred and fifty a week. Now. Fast forward five years, those properties are worth around two hundred thousand now, and those clients are receiving around two two fifty a week in rent. Um, some of our clients have been able to maintain that. Um, some of our clients have not, and they've sold the properties at losses. Um, unfortunately for us, just just to clarify, we weren't involved in the advice. They'd bought properties and came to us to get the finance. So, um, but at the time, the banks valued them at what they were worth. Um, the banks put that amount of rental on them, but that rental yield is just not sustainable. Um, so anyone that understands property will know that if it's too good to be true, it's not. Student accommodation, as I said, is another one. You'll see properties in the city, you know, worth 200000 with 8% yields. There's something not right about that. So all I'm saying is just understand uh, what, a, what a property return should look like, uh, not just from an estimated capital growth point of view, but from yield as well. Mm-hmm. And if it seems too good to be true, probably run a mile. Um, or at least seek outside advice and understand what's actually happening in the area, fundamentals, what's driving the market. Um, you know, that particular situation I'm talking about was uh, an LNG plant was being built. So there was a lot of workers there building the plant. What happened when the workers left? Everything went downhill. So I think, Marty, you've got a similar story around 
golf courses or property views. Uh, yeah, water views. well, that's uh, another sad story by Marty. <laughs> Hang in with me. But well, I, before I go into that story, um, what do you think you should do? Like if someone's in that negative equity position, because mm. I, I hear it all the time, like that, that yeah. people get themselves in these situations. What what would your advice be? Because it's it's like a falling knife. Mate, it's a, it's a mm. great question. And the reason it's a good question is because dealing with this um, recently with two or three clients, so financial planning clients of ours um, who bought properties um, through whoever they bought them through, particularly inside a self-managed super fund environment and- Dangerous. Well, well dangerous, but you know, they, they, they're just not going anywhere and they're not going to go anywhere. So the question is, when do you cut your loss? And what's the opportunity cost of having that money tied up in an investment that's not going to go anywhere? Because um, not only is the money tied up, but you're also funding that, that property on a weekly basis to keep it afloat. So um, I've had two clients in the last week um, in the financial planning business where we decided to sell properties um, that are just not going to go anywhere, haven't gone anywhere for 10 years, and now it's all about the opportunity costs. Well, you know, you've got five to 10 years left of your working life. We need to set you up now for retirement. We can't be hoping that that property recovers because based on the fundamentals of where you purchase, it's probably not going to. So very much an individual decision. Um, and an individual property decision as well. But there comes a time when you've just really got to cut your losses and work on the future plan instead of having this um, this sinker weighing you down all the time. I, I can reiterate that. And um, in Queensland, just uh, during the GFC, I and this is this is a great bit of advice. Don't let your ego use your credit card like I did. I've I've always been very fundamentally sound in my decisions, but this golf course block looked magnificent, great views, and there was sort of a perceived additional price to them, about 150 higher than every other property in the estate. But I thought, you know, I had a win, this should be all right. Properties are going up. And anyway, GFC hits. It comes back by 150000 off the original purchase price. And I'm going, holy crap, what, what do I do? And one of the lessons I learned is I waited for six months. I go, oh, it'll, it'll bounce back. I'll find another way. But it's like trying to catch a falling knife and it's not going to come back. And it's, uh, it was an invaluable lesson that I could have made a better choice. There was fundamentally better properties to buy, but I went the emotional route and I thought, it's the only time I've ever done it, and I got burnt. And I thought, but I also got out as well, like Nick was saying. Sometimes you, it's a Croatian term, I think, but sometimes you've got to take the pig and shoot it because, you know, <laughs> if it's not, if it, sorry to any vegans that are listening, <laughs> or any animal lovers, but but that that's the way you look at it. You go, because that's going to stop the opportunity now. Now, in hindsight, when I look back, that property has just got back to the value of what what it was. Mm. And that is, geez, it's going back now, 13 years. So if I hadn't have if I hadn't have killed that deal, I wouldn't have been able to invest. Now I was fortunate to be in a position that I did okay in the first business to be able to wear that. Mm. But geez, it was a hit to my ego and maybe really knuckle down the fundamentals. So it was um yeah, it's a it's a good lesson to everyone in there. Stick to your fundamentals and don't don't yeah, go off course. Not every investment is going to work, right? So I make bad investments. You've done some bad things. And I'm sure Jace has as well. But I bought Maya shares. That was one of my worst investments. Okay. So, talk but us no, through no, that no, 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 not at all. Never going to mention <laughs> it again. 
Um, but knowing, knowing when to take a loss, uh, no, $3 sold at 30 cents. So, and I oh. won't say how many, but, um, but knowing when to take a loss. So this, this whole segment of losing it, we've just talked about a pur- purchase of a property for 500,000, sold it for 200,000, $300,000 loss. Um, avoiding the loss then, is it a buyer's advocate? So if I don't know enough about property to back in a decision, and I don't want to get sucked into the hype of buying in a mining town or buying the golf course facing property. What about a buyer's advocate? Yeah, highly recommend buyer's agents or buyer's advocates. And um, particularly in this market, because it is there's this frenzy happening at the moment. Mm. So you can get wrapped in the emotion, the emotional side and not just the buying a certain type of property, but paying too much. That's probably the biggest thing you'll see happen. So look, depending on your situation, some people will say that if it's your if, if it's your twenty two if it's your twenty year home, then maybe you do pay a little bit extra and you, and you just be okay with that. But if it's an investment, I'd say buyer's advocate uh, every day of the week. And um, there's a few things to think about there. Um, number one, they have to be unbiased, so they have to be not um, focusing on a particular area um, because you often find that buyers agents will stick to a particular suburb or region and they'll be biased towards that region. So you need to find someone that's dealing whether it's Australia-wide or Melbourne-wide, but someone mm-hmm. who can give you an unbiased opinion. And second to that, um, and Marty, you and I were talking about this, but you need to find someone that charges a fee, yep. uh, not someone that's that's paid by a property developer or a builder or the like. So, so if they're getting a sweet commission, it's probably seek a second opinion or... Well, someone's got to pay for the commission, right? Mm. So, you know, and it's generally not the developer. So you'll find with a lot of those off-the-plan um, deals, there's a... Commissions as high as thirty or forty thousand, and the the purchaser will wear that. So, and 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 again, it's people get hot, caught up in the hype of the new property off the plan. Um, if you look at the established market or buying something that's already there, a lot of the times you'll find it's performed a lot better uh, because you're coming coming from behind when you're buying new property with large commissions built in. Yeah, well said. I think. Uh and you, you can look at areas. You can see how an area has performed for the last, you know, 30 years. You can get that data. So I think the buyer's advocate will bring those fundamentals to you because even though it's a home, you still want to know that it's a it's a good investment for the long term, I, I, I think. that And that would save a lot of dramas of making those emotional mistakes. It's like getting a valuation mm. prior to buying a property mm. just to get a guide of, um, you know, what that property's worth. It's not such a bad idea either. I think- so in what's going to be the biggest purchase of your life, actually getting educated on it and finding out information is probably a pretty good move then. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, you're looking at the most people are spending a million dollars, right? So when else, what other asset are you going to spend a million dollars on? Why wouldn't you pay someone um, to make sure you get the decision right? Because when you look at the fees that a buyer's agent or a buyer's advocate, advocate charges, it's far less than what the cost will be if you get the decision wrong. So, you know, it can be little things. And I guess where people don't think about it, I'm, I'm going to go down the investment side here, not so much the home, but, you know, you, you might know a really good area but what does that area want? So, you know, do you buy a townhouse in that area or mm-hmm. do you buy a, a house in that area that has a minimum of four bedrooms based on the demographics? Yep. These are the sorts of things that a buyer's advocate or a, a proper research business will tell you uh, above and beyond, hey, buy in that suburb because it's a great suburb. Well, why? And then what property do I need to ensure that it's always rented out? Uh, what, what what are the school zones? Um, what's what's the government got coming up from an in- infrastructure point yeah. of view? Even in the Yarra Valley, there's a shortage of two-bedroom homes for people downsizing. People that have lived in the area forever 
it's they, they have a premium on them because they they don't want to do much work around the house. But but yeah, it's it's local locale specific. Numbers telling a story there, Marty. Numbers telling a story. Beautiful. Got a question? Email us. Hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. Really heavy on content about buying a property. We want to give you the small things that matter most, the one percenters when trying to buy a property. So Nick and Marty, I know for me personally, I, I want to buy a home. It's something that I've been looking at for quite some time. I, I kind of, you know, the hindsight's a beautiful thing. I wished I'd got into the market back in 2019. I'm looking at the properties that I was trying to buy then that I fell short on and I wish I was in the market. I've got FOMO, like we talked about earlier on. So, buying a property at the moment, I want to talk to you guys about savings, bank requirements, all those things that you guys do day to day. How do I get in the market and what do I need to know about buying a property right now as prices are skyrocketing? Well, you need to get into the market, mate. I think that's the best advice I could give you. And I think the the thing you've got to be aware of is the market has increased by you know, anything from 10%, and I think it's going to keep rising So in certain areas. So I would just really focus on, I think the best advice I can give you, be, be ready. Be ready in regards mm. to how much you want to spend and how much you can spend. Yep. Because I think people are going to auctions, they're going to private homes, uh, private inspections, and they're just like auctions at the moment. There's 30, 60, 90 groups going through, and people are just out of the market. So when you sit down with your finance professional, think about what's your absolutely maximum that you can do from a finance point of view, because that might be... 10, 20% more than you think. And you want to have that in your back pocket because it's a lot easier to have that that approval approved at that higher rate and come down if you happen to get a good price. But it's really hard if you've got, let's say you've got approved for 500 mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you want to go to 600, you have to go through the whole bank process again and you know, assess your income, look at your deposit and everything. So go for the highest amount that you can get and you can always come back. Make sure it's affordable for you, but I think you need skin in the game because I just think people are jumping over each other just to just to get that home at the moment. So you want to be best positioned, um, but that, that would be something I'd consider. Nick? Uh, yeah, great point. And look, one of, one of the things that's happening in our business at the moment is every Monday morning for the last month, there's been phone calls from brokers. Um, you know, clients pre-approved, went to auction, were not even in the game. So, you know, things at the moment, as far as when I say things, property are going for 10 to 20% above mm-hmm. the quote range and sometimes more. So, you know, we have clients that are pre-approved, then they probably go a little bit, you know, if there's a quote range, they'll go a little bit above that they're still 15, 20% out of the market. So I think it's a great point. Understand understand what your maximum is and what your maximum comfort levels are and make sure that you almost ignore quote ranges at the mm-hmm. moment. And it's not hard to do your own research. Yep. Um, I'm not saying real estate agents are underquoting at the moment. I just think the market's moving so quick that they're, they're also scrambling to keep up, you know, what what is the right quote range. So yep. ha- just have a look at what sold last weekend have a look at what sold two weeks ago and you'll soon work out where that property is going to sit um but yeah just just going armed and um i think that's the frustration right so also not just from a personal point of view but listening to clients as well i got a frustrated call from a client 1.45 mil was the advertised he went in ready to spend 1.65 and it sold for 1.77 
So just completely out of the game. And I think that was a frustration for myself. Same story, going to all these auctions and being priced out of the game. How far in advance are people- So this client was also probably not overly uh, prepared. It was a lot of, oh my God, I need my bank statements. I, I need it now because I want I found the property and I've got a week to be able to buy it. How much more planning time do you really need? I mean, what, what timeline are we dealing with with the banks at the moment to, to get approvals? It's very, and Marty, I'll probably you talk about this because you're, you're in the trenches a bit more, but I think it's bank dependent, right? It is. There are certain banks out there that could be, you know, 14 day turnaround. Some have even branched out to 21 days, but there's other lenders that you can turn around in two or three days. So, but you want to give yourself the best chance with the best lender. And I think that's where you have to do that work up front. And I, like I, just to this weekend, we had people buy for two mil without having a pre-approval unconditional. They only earn 170 grand. Well, wow. I say only, but it's a good wage. But but again, they have to look at alternatives now because I'm not sure whether they can afford it. But because they didn't want to miss out, they made a bad decision. And I'm going, okay, how do we how do we rectify this situation? We'll find some some way. But but that gives you an example of people's emotions. So if they had have come to us, you know, a couple of weeks in advance. We could have prepped them and we could have put them in a strong position, a position of empowerment. And the other thing is people are making unconditional offers out there. So you need to be able to get into the market and put in a strong offer. So even if you're doing subject to finance for 14 days, you know, the agent's going to take the best offer on the market, right, to, to best support the vendor and get the deal done. So it means if I rock up. And I'm still subject to finance and the guy next to me is unconditional approval. Yeah. I'll probably miss out on the house to that person. Well, you want to go in with a strong offer. So you have to dot your I's and T's and and people go to auctions all the time with pre-approvals, right? So you have to make sure you're watertight and someone's looked over the numbers so you can confidently go in with that bid. But also if it's, let's say it's private sale, you can utilize the mortgage broker to give confidence to the agent to go, this is a really strong deal. It's pre-approved. I've looked over the numbers. So use your finance broker as your advocate when you're even putting in a strong offer because that can hold weight in a market where everyone's just going, I'm going to take the best offer, best offer, best offer, best offer. So you can you can still play a strategic game here if you approach it the right way. So in a rising market then, I guess, outside of buying a property personally where a lot of people are going out and happy to pay overs 10 20% over what's being advertised, 30% sometimes, does that matter as well then determining between buying a property personally to live in and then also buying an investment property? If I'm about to invest in a property, does that change the decision-making at the moment to go out in a rising market and pay extra for a property? Well, you're looking at... Um flexibility in this day and age. I think the one thing that COVID's taught us is we can we can virtually live anywhere. Um, so you've got to make that choice is is somewhere out you know out of east or wherever you want to live, rural, um, regional, whatever the case may be. But also I know a lot of people that rent where they want to live. So you've got to decide where that is and then invest successfully somewhere else. At least it gets you into the market. Um, if you don't live in that property, you can still get access to the first home buyer's grant when you buy a property for yourself. So if it's still around at that time, of course, but, um, but they're all decisions you need to make. But I think the important thing is to get into the market and then you've got that rising market working for you and you can still accelerate the debt down and create wealth 
as well through that property that's more affordable uh, given given your own personal circumstances. Nick, have you got anything to add um, to that? No, look, I think it's a great strategy and it's one that we're seeing more and more and um, I think it's because people are settling down a bit later in life. But the thing is the, the owner-occupied home or, you know, the – the Aussie dream of owning your own home is actually a really actually ties you down. So when mm. I say ties you down, if you're not ready to settle down, it does not make sense to buy that that owner occupied home, in my opinion. If it can't, and unless it can maybe turn into investment property at a later date. But when we look at property, the one thing you need to do to to ensure uh, that you do make money out of property, apart from buying the right property, but is hold it and mm. not be in a position where you have to sell it when, when, when it's not the right time uh, from a market point of view. So to give you an example, if you, let's say you spend a million dollars on a house in St Kilda because you really like St Kilda and that's where you want to live. Um, two years later, I meet a girl from, from Queensland and I decide to up and move to Queensland, get a job in Queensland. I've now got an asset that's worth a million dollars in St Kilda that's going to have a really bad return because the rents just don't fetch what they should for a million dollar property. So we say to people, look, there's nothing wrong with with rent vesting, which is the term, mm. which is until you know where you want to live and all things can, it's not just meeting a girl, school zones are another big thing. You see people uh, my age now needing to find new properties based on school zones. Yep. Uh, and, you know, if, you, if you're talking about the inner Melbourne market, you're talking about people spending one to 1. 1.5, um, spending 70 to 100,000 on stamp duty. And they did that on the last property as well. So that money is now gone. So- I think um, understanding understanding your long term situation and not not needing to to realise an asset or sell an asset if your life circumstances change is is pivotal. Um, and there's so many young people that want to get into the market. Well, buy an investment property, buy something that makes sense cash flow wise, mm. which means you can hold it for at least ten to fifteen years. And then if you have a life circumstance, um, or if you have a, a change in life that means you need to move. Um, or you know, you, it's it's kids and, and and school zones. It doesn't mean you have to sell that asset, and you can make sure that you, you continue to get growth. Yeah, so the key lesson there is buying a good area with good growth and where you can afford. Cash flow is a big one um, because you, without the cash flow, you can't hold it, and then you might be at risk of needing to sell it at the wrong time as well. Um, so yes, cap, you know, it sounds like the unicorn, but capital growth, cash flow, um, but get. Get the right, get the right balance, and understand what that balance should be. Uh, not one that's too good to be true, as we yeah. spoke about earlier. Good point, Nick. I think um, the other thing a lot of people don't consider when they're getting into the market: debt can be a noose around your neck. If you're if you've got fifty percent of your income, forty percent of your income going towards debt, that's not bringing generating revenue for you. Um, you know, people got to have kids. <laughs> you might have both people working for now. And then, you know, that tap gets turned off. So you've, you've got to consider all those things as well. So the rent vesting idea is not a bad idea where you live in the area or live in the school area you want to be in and have strategic investments. I think as a society, I know we talk about the great Australian dream and that's always going to be there, but maybe we just need to think a little bit more laterally. How do we put more money back into our pocket? Like how do we put cash flow, use these low rates put money back into the household so it frees up, it creates a third income for families. Because what I'm seeing is people are putting families off. I, I know I waited till 40 as well. But, I mean, that's because it's a consideration. It's it's like we need both incomes to run that, you know, run that lifestyle. So it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting point. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that we discussed as well was not trying to beat the market. I think that was something that I failed at, and that's that probably should have thrown that in and losing it. But <laughs> I sat there going, all this talk about property prices coming down, and there was articles on it, there was hype, there was all this stuff going, property prices have to come down. We've had 60 years of property price growth in Australia over and over and over again, and every year somebody goes, the property price has to come down eventually. But I think we looked at data, Nick, that showed that pretty much consistently property prices have grown Every ten years, you almost yep. double double yep. your property. Yep, that's that that's the stats. And of course, there's there's dips, and just like the share market, that's dips. But um, you've got to be very lucky to pick it, and you've got to be lucky to to have the ability to transact when the dip comes. And you know, I talk about um, the share market and um, COVID in March, where the market dropped by around thirty five percent. So everyone in hindsight says, "Geez, I should have put money into the market back then." But no one, no one had the guts to, or very few had the guts to, because it's a it's a declining market, and not only you're trying to pick the decline, but you're also trying to pick the bottom. And who knew that thirty five percent was going to be the bottom? It could yep. have been twenty percent. It could have been sixty percent. So our advice is just understand your own what's your own goals and objectives, and if it's a long term hold, then don't try and predict the market. Um, just try and understand what it means for you to be able to maintain that property for. 10, 15 years, and then you, you, sh- you should be okay as long as it's, it's, it's the right kind of property in the right area. When's the right time for people to reach out if they are looking to buy a property? I, th- I think as soon as they're thinking about it because it, it doesn't just need to be at the time when you're, you're actually going to buy. We've got a lot of clients that are six months away, nine months away, but they want to understand what it looks like. How do they get to that goal if it's a $800,000 purchase? So if you have aspirations to get into the market, whether it's the next 12 months or 24 months, I'd say reach out, yep. understand what you need to do to best put yourself in a position to be able to transact in the way that you want to transact. Yeah. But I know, look, at Future Advisory, our clients work really closely with you and your team at Innovate, Nick and Marty. So um, I would just say anyone who is ready, you guys are approachable fellas, feel free to reach out to Innovate and, and talk to the team about getting into the property market because there's yep. no time like now, according to the uh, rising market that we're in and all the advice that we're hearing. Marty V. Yeah, like well, now. look, just give me a call, 0439 and I'll put you on the right path. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Numbers Game. Marty, what's your takeaway this week? Uh, my big takeaway is it's always the right time to buy property as long as you buy in the right areas and you get the fundamentals right. So buy. Long term, you'll always be okay. Nick. Uh, My biggest takeaway is it's okay to take a loss, just as much as we spoke about when to take a win the other week. I think um, an investment decision is an investment decision and sometimes they're wrong. So understand when you've made the wrong decision and then really get to understand what the opportunity cost of not making um, the decision to move on is. And it's okay as long as we learn a lesson and we move on. Jace, what do you got? Well, guys, um, I'm still stuck back on all the sand facts, to be honest. I mean, I know we talked a lot about property prices and all of that, but I haven't got past the sand thing. So for me, I'm going to be going away looking at where the hell is all this sand gone and what opportunities can I get from uh, Nick's sand story? I think we're going to have a few people go down to the beach with their bucket and spade and think a little bit differently about sunbaking in the future. Or filling their board shorts up and just sort of waddling out uh, out of the water anything property related or if you'd just like to drop us an email hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au catch you next week guys <laughs>